Thank you, Dave. Beautiful job, wasn't that? I, I love that song. People need the Lord. Beautiful job. Beautiful job. I heard this week, I was watching the news that I'm supposed to wear two to three masks now. And uh, I don't know what to believe. I, uh, I was told earlier this year to wear one mask, and I was told not to wear a mask. I was told no mask, six feet, 12 feet, 27 feet. Um, should I get the vaccine? Should I not get the vaccine? Uh, should we have school? Should we go back to school? Have no school? Uh, should restaurants be open? I wish someone would tell me the truth. I just need to know the truth. And uh, I'm reminded of Pilate. And uh, we're still waiting for overhead here. We have the picture of Pilate there. And in John 18, and Jesus is standing before Pilate. And in John 18, verse 37, you are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a, a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Pilate, what is truth? What is truth? What's amazing about that is Jesus is standing in front of him. The same man who said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When Jesus was praying for the disciples in John 17, 17, he says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Of course, we're reminded of John 1.1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. John 16.13, but when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. I failed to mention that two weeks ago, didn't I, Chris? Okay. The spirit of truth. Truth is God's revelation. It's his character, the mind of God. God is the source of all truth. He is the judge of all truth. Satan and false teachers have attempted to take that truth throughout the years and have twisted it. And that's what the book of Judges is all about. Romans 1.18, it says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. 1 Corinthians 13.6, that famous love chapter in the Bible, says that love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. When Dave taught on the armor of God recently in Ephesians 6, 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. And finally, we read in Philippians 4, 8, whatever is true, 
whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Truth. Pilate asked, what is truth? We know the truth. We know Jesus, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Apostasy, which was the big threat, uh, danger, both then, when Jude was written, and today. Apostasy, apostasy, when people turn away from God's truth and embrace false teaching. And Jude is going to remind the people that God's judgment, God's judgment awaits those who twist his truth. His judgment waits those who, who bear false witness regarding the truth. And false teachers and those who reject the truth face the judgment of God. So we take a look at the book of Jude. And it's a small book, but such a, a powerful book. And we see examples of those who reject the truth and the judgment that follows. Someone has said that no one is useless. We can all be bad examples. <laughs> And in today we see bad examples that teach us lessons. So Jude 5 says this. Though you already know all of this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. The children of Israel... It's hard to understand. They experience all the plagues, the Passover. They put the blood over their doorposts. They saw the firstborn die. They saw the great deliverance. They saw the Red Sea divide. They saw the Egyptian army destroyed. They were led by a cloud during the day, pillar of fire by night. They were given manna. They were given water from a rock. And they saw the great victory over the Amalekites. But yet, they rebelled. They rebelled against God. They complained. Why did you lead us out into this wilderness so we can die in the wilderness? After seeing all the miracles of God. God led them to the promised land. And why was it called the promised land? Because God promised them that land. That land is yours. You just have to go and take it. What did they do? Before they crossed over, they formed a committee, right? And they sent the spies over to look at the land. The spies were 40 days in the land. They came back, and 10 of the spies says, wow, there is good fruit and vegetation in this land. But... The cities are huge. The people are huge. There's large walls. The people are giants. We don't think we should do it. They're like, who asked you in the first place? You know, that, that, that wasn't your job. That, that wasn't your job. Now, the two spies, of course, Joshua and Caleb says, yes, the people are huge. The city's walls are high. But with God's help, we can do it. 
But the people rebelled. Why did you bring us out into this wilderness to die? What was God's judgment? God's judgment because of your disbelief. Anybody 21 and over is not going to go to the promised land. You're going to die in the wilderness, just like you've been complaining about. Only Joshua and Caleb will enter into the promised land with the younger generation. It was God's judgment. You have to realize, too, that faithful people were affected by that. Joshua and Caleb, for the next 40 years, would have to wander in the desert, too. Moses and Aaron as well. So because of unbelief, there's an incredible loss of blessings to, to many people because of their unbelief. Let's take a look at the next example. Verse 6. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling. These he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. Of course, Satan, we read in Revelation 12, was thrown out of heaven. He rebelled and took one-third of the angels with him. These angels, you know, they once lived in the presence of God. They were pure and holy, but they rebelled against God. 2 Peter 2.4, and by the way, 2 Peter chapter 2 is a great parallel passage to the book of Jude. Very similar in the theology. 2 Peter 2.4 says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. Now, of course, there's a lot of Bible scholars that disagree on the, the details of this. They have different views. Some scholars feel that some of these fallen angels are currently bound and chained till Judgment Day, while other fallen angels are very active among us as demons. We do know in Revelation 20 that Satan will be bound for a thousand years in the abyss during the millennial time. Some people actually feel that this refers to Genesis chapter 6, that often controversial <laughs> section where fallen, or some people feel that fallen angels cohabited with human females, and as a result, the Nephilim were born, these, these giants, um, and that these are the angels that are currently chained as a result of their sin. But many disagree with that because many feel that angels were never involved here because angels do not marry or reproduce. We do know that in the Luke 8 passage, Jesus is healing the demon-possessed man. And before he cast out the demons, the demons beg Jesus repeatedly for them not to go to the abyss or to be chained. And Jesus, if you remember the story, allowed them to enter into a herd of pigs. Ephesians 6.12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against all spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
So there's chain, unchained, demons, angels, fallen angels. They've all been sentenced. But in some cases, they haven't actually started to serve their term yet. So they're out there busy trying to destroy us, trying to take God's truth and twist God's truth. Satan knows he's running out of time. And Satan wants to create as much havoc as he can with the time he has left. Take a look at verse 7. Another example of a group that have rejected the truth of God in a similar way. Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. You remember the story, Abraham's nephew Lot chose to live in the land of Sodom. And Abraham finds out it's a very wicked place, and Abraham finds out that God is going to judge the city of Sodom. And he has that dialogue in Genesis 18. And he, Abraham asks God, will you sweep, sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And there's 50 righteous people. Are you going to de destroy the city? And then he has a comment. Which I, I think this is a phrase that's been a comfort to me for many years. Abraham says this to the Lord in Genesis 18:25. Will not the judge of the earth do right? Will not the judge... Sometimes when I'm confused with certain actions that take place, I think of this verse. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Of course he will. He's God. I might not understand why something is happening, but the judge of all the earth will do right. And we can trust in him. If you remember the conversation, of course, God said, I won't destroy Sodom for 50. And Abraham says, how about 45? God said, no. Can I be so bold to say 40? No. 30? No. God have mercy on me. 20? No. 10? No. So... Uncle Abraham was interceding for Lot in this case. And, of course, in chapter 19, two angels visited Sodom. And Lot came out. These angels had the appearance of men. So Lot went out to greet the men and offered hospitality, which was huge in that day. The men said, no, that's okay. We'll just uh, spend the night out on the city square. Lot knew the city. Lot says, no way are you spending the time out there. You come in and stay with us. That night, the men of the town surrounded Lot's house, yelling, send out those two men. We want to have sex with them. And in answer that I would never understand, Lot opens the door and says, don't do this wicked thing. I do have two daughters that you can have. 
I've never understood that, but it just so shows you the view of women back, you know, during the Bible times. We had a similar story in Judges 19 when we talked about the Levite and the, and the concubine. The same offer was made. But if you remember the story, the account, the angels struck all the men blind. And the angels told Lot and his family to escape before judgment was coming. So the family of Lot escaped. And you remember Lot's wife turned around and turned into a pillar of salt. It's like the little boy who heard this story in Sunday school class and said, my mom turned around while driving and turned into a telephone pole. But Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt. And the Lord rained down sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah. It was so full of sin, God wiped them off the face of the earth. It's very interesting that Lot, we're told in 2 Peter 2 that Lot was a righteous man. But many feel that he was a quiet righteous man. He, he lived in a wicked town, but was quiet. And the moral, moral fiber of our society is going down, and many people feel the church has been too quiet. The church has been too quiet. That there's a, there's a spirit of apathy that is in many churches, that we don't speak up enough. I heard of a minister who was giving a sermon on what he said was the two greatest sins of the church. Ignorance and apathy. And he went up to a man in his church after his sermon and said, what do you think of my sermon? Do you agree with it that the two biggest sins is ignorance and apathy? And the man replied, I really don't know and I don't care. Thank you, Bob. Okay. But these all serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. And people who reject the truth of God, people who reject the plan of salvation, will spend eternity in a lake of fire. Those who rebel and reject God's truth. Take a look at verse 8. In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. These false teachers, most likely Gnostics, claim to have a high level of mystical truth that was only revealed to them. They thought that anything that had to do with the bodies was meaningless. So for that reason, they would go out and perform very sinful acts, sexual acts, involving the body, relying on the forgiveness of God, or saying, it doesn't matter, the flesh is meaningless. They rejected the authority of 
the Lord as their, their, their authority in their lives, and their lifestyle ran contrary to the word of God. In 2 Peter, I mentioned 2 Peter is a parallel passage. 2 Peter 2, verses uh, 10 through 12. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desires of the flesh and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But, though, but these people blaspheming in matters they do not understand. They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like animals, they too will perish. Many uh, people in our world mock the supernatural. Uh, just because they don't see it, they mock it. Spiritual warfare, they mock. They make light of Satan and his demons. And Satan is very, very involved in the spiritual warfare that we experience every day. Michael Youssef, one of the, uh, my resources for this message, says that false teachers pollute the gospel message. In some ways that they pollute the gospel message, they say that everybody is saved. You hear that? Everybody is saved. Everybody gets to go to heaven. There is no such thing as hell. There is no such thing as Satan. Everybody goes to heaven. And because they believe that and preach that, says everybody goes into heaven, do whatever you want, because God forgives. Live any lifestyle you want. God forgives. And of course, that's false teaching. Take a look at verse 9 of Jude. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Moses, remember, he was disobeyed. He struck the rock and said the speaking to the rock was not allowed into the holy land, the promised land, rather. And he was up on top of Mount Nebo, and he's looking down into the promised land. And his death is recorded and actually, Deuteronomy 34, 5 through 6. And it says, And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite of Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where the grave is. What's very interesting about this verse in Jude, where it talks about this conversation between Michael and the devil, it's never mentioned in the Bible. It's never mentioned in the Bible. This is a quote from an ancient Jewish book called The Assumption of Moses. 
It's an apocryphal book that was in the first century. Uh, it was poorly preserved. There's only one manuscript, and it's a, there's a large portion miss, missing from it. And what Judah's doing here, he's quoting from this book, The Assumption of Moses, which you have to remember, the Apostle Paul quoted from secular twice, secular text a couple of times to, to prove his point, to make a point. But just to let you know that this assumption of Moses is an apocryphal book that wasn't accepted into the, the canon. But Jude quotes from it to make, to make his point there. It's, um, it's a very interesting, it, it, this book contains certain secret prophecies that Moses had with Joshua as he was passing the leadership baton off. And um, so it's, it's, it's very interesting. One thing we do know that 2 Corinthians 2.11, that says, in order that Satan might, might not outwit us, for we are not aware of his schemes. One thing, unaware of his schemes, thank you. One thing that we can't do is we cannot minimize the deceitfulness of Satan. We cannot underestimate the power of Satan. And, and even this archangel, Michael, in this, in this text that was quoted, he didn't really want to rebuke Satan. What did he say? The Lord, the Lord rebuked you. Because even the archangel realized that the Lord is more powerful than Satan. Many times we think that we can fight Satan in our own strength. That's a mistake. We need to rely on the Lord and put on the full armor of God as we fight against Satan. By the way, isn't it interesting that Moses, no one knows where he's buried. The Lord buried him. Most likely, if we knew where Moses was buried, there'd be a tomb there. Thousands of people every year would go and worship that tomb. And you know who would get the victory? Satan. Because if we worship a tomb, we take our focus away from our Lord and Savior. So there, the most likely that's why the, the body of Moses was buried, and no one knows to this day where it was buried. Verse 10. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand. And the very things they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. These false teachers, again, probably the Gnostics, with this secret knowledge, they claimed, uh, under, they, they understood a lot, and they, they felt privileged. There was a lot of pride going on with the truth that they had. And we were talking about this in the men's prayer group this morning. I, I shouldn't, shouldn't say men's prayer group. It was just only men were in the prayer group this morning. But we were talking about how great God is, and in our finite brains, it's so hard to comprehend how great God is. But God, in his grace, has revealed truth to us. And we are to seek God and, and know God through his word. But as we, we know God, we understand that we're so finite. It's so hard to understand God completely. 
But yet these false teachers, they claimed to have the truth. And they just dismissed everything that they could, they could not understand. I, I like what the, the paraphrase the message has on verse 10. It says this, but these people sneer at anything they can't understand. And by doing whatever they feel like doing, living uh, by animal instinct only, they participate in their own destruction. There's really three clues or hints of apostasy in, in the church. And uh, it's listed in these next verses in, uh, in Jude. In fact, we're going to end in Jude 11. There, there's three examples here. It says, woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's heir. They have been destroyed by Korah's rebellion. Let's start with Cain. And most of you remember that story. Adam and Eve had both uh, Abel and Cain. And we read in Genesis 4, starting with uh, verse 2. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering. Fat portions for some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Of course, he would go on to kill his brother Abel. But what is the way of Cain? Why was not his offering looked upon with favor? We don't know all the details, but we do know that when Adam and Eve sinned, what did the Lord do? He took an animal and sacrificed it to cover their sin. And we know that Abel killed an animal where Cain brought some of the fruit. There's more to it than that. Hebrews 11.4 says, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. 1 Samuel 15.22 says, To obey is better than sacrifice. So I'm sure there is an attitude that also was part of the way of Cain. But God did not accept that offering. I'm going to go back and uh, make a quote from uh, Michael Youssef. He was talking about, in U.S. history, many of the hospitals that were developed in our country were developed by Christians. Many of the soup kitchens and rescue missions were developed by Christians. Which is good. I, I, that, that's great. That's great. But he has says, and again I'm quoting here, that Satan has hijacked some of these good things 
and has brought them into the church. And now many churches, what they preach is what's called a social gospel. A social gospel is when you get involved doing good things for the community. Now, there's nothing wrong with doing good things for the community. In fact, I'm, probably a lot of churches are guilty of not doing good things for the community. But what they've done is they've put it at their top priority. Where a social gospel is being preached, let's help here, 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 here in the gospel message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is not preached in the church, but a social gospel is preached. And he says that that is a threat in today's society. It's a do-it-your-own-way type of religion. Cain wanted to do it his own way. Abel did it God's way. Cain did it his own way. And that is the way of Cain. The second illustration is Balaam. You know the story about Balaam, right? They have rushed for profit into Balaam's heir. The story of Balaam is in Numbers 22 and 24. The children of Israel, they're on their way to the promised land, and they have to pass through Moab. And Moab, there was a wicked king, King Balak, and he knew Israel's reputation. He knew what God had done for them coming through the Red Sea. He was scared of Israel because of all the miracles. He knew that there was a God that was protecting Israel. So there was an evil sorcerer, prophet, who worked through divination nation, and he hired Balaam, because Balaam was the type of guy that you could pay money to, and he could bless people and curse people. So he hired Balaam to curse Israel. Well, Balaam, as evil as he was, even he recognized that God was blessing Israel and protecting Israel, and God revealed that to him. And you know the, the famous donkey ride where they're going in the mountain pass, and there's a narrow, and the donkey stopped, and he starts yelling at the donkey. The donkey laid down because the donkey saw an angel of the Lord blocking his path. And finally, the donkey had to speak to, uh, to Balaam. And um, Balaam goes on to bless Israel. But sometimes we forget the last part of the story. We forget the last part of the story. And um, he ends up actually enticing Israel into the land of Moab. But let's take a look again back at 2 Peter 2, 15 through 16. It says, they have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Balaam did not get his money because he ends up blessing Israel, but... 
he got his money later because we read in Numbers 31.16, they were the ones who followed Balaam's advice and enticed the Israelites to be unfaithful to the Lord in the Peor incident so that the plague struck the Lord's people. What happened is Balaam enticed the men of Israel to come and engage in sexual sins with the women of Moab. So even though he did not put a verbal curse on them, he caused them to be enticed into sexual sin. Revelation 2.14 talks about the church in Pergamum, and it says the Lord's message, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. So what the men of Israel did is they married, they got involved in the women of Moab. They started worshiping their pagan gods, which led to sexual immorality. So most likely, Balaam did get his money, eventually, in a roundabout way. And then the final example. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. In number 16, Korah, who was the cousin of Moses, him and 250 men came and rebelled against the authority of Moses and Aaron. And they said, hey, we want to be priests. We want to have power. We want to have position. We will be priests. And Moses and Aaron, they were very upset, and they felt like giving revenge. But whose revenge is better, yours or God's? I mean, it says in Romans 12, 19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. God always does the better job. In this case, the next day, the ground split open, and Korah and the 250 men were swallowed and buried into the ground. These are all examples to false teachers who reject God's truth, who preach a gospel that is not the true gospel at all, who take God's truth and they twist it and they manipulate it. You know, Balaam for financial gain. Korah wanted to feed their ego, their power, and their authority. And you see false teachers in the church today, both for money, both for power, and for authority, they give a false message. And you see these three stories illustrate attitudes that many false teachers have. Pride, selfishness, jealousy, greed, lust for power, disregard for God's will. So what is the purpose of the book of Jude? It's a small book. <laughs> it's going to take us three or four weeks to go through one chapter. It's a small book, but the purpose is to remind the church of their need to, for constant uh, vigilance 
and to keep strong into the faith and to oppose heresy. The key verse, as Dave read already this morning, verse 3. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. Are you ready to contend for the faith? With God's power, right? Not in our own flesh. With God's power, we need to contend for the faith. Let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you for this powerful book, your word. Lord, the, the warnings that we have in here of eternal damnation and judgment on those who proclaim a false gospel for false teachers, for those who reject your truth or twist your truth. Lord, I pray as a church that we would not be quiet, that we would not have the sin of apathy in our community, that we would be bold to speak out. Give us the strength to do that. Lord, we also realized this morning that we are engaged in spiritual warfare every day. And Lord, we are not strong enough in our own flesh to fight against Satan and his demons. But we know you are stronger and you have victory. You have already defeated the enemy and they're waiting to serve their term. And Lord, we realize that each day we need to put on the full armor of God, that we need to be alert for Satan seeks to devour us as a lion. So, Lord, I pray that we would be alert and that we would go out every day in your strength. We pray this in all of God's people said. Amen. Amen.